You're listening to the World Radio Day 2017 podcast series on SOAS Radio. Coming up on the 10th of February, we have the World Radio Day London event, hosted by SOAS Radio. In anticipation of the event, we are interviewing academics, radio industry professionals, and communication for development practitioners. And today, I'm talking with Noma Messina. Noma is currently the current affairs producer for ZFM, the first independent non-state radio station to be set up in Zimbabwe in 2012, and is also a senior teaching fellow at the Centre for Media Studies at SOAS, and was formerly a writer for the Zimbabwe Independent Newspaper. Thank you very much for coming into the studio. Thank you for having me. Can you just tell us, first of all, how you got involved in radio? I've always been interested in media production, and uh, if any know, anyone knows a little bit about Zimbabwe, uh, you know that the government has had pretty much uh, total control um, over media production within the country since independence. Uh, so the way I got into media in Zimbabwe was to start as a runner for the Zimbabwe Independent Newspaper, but while I was there, an incredible uh, opportunity came about with uh, ZFM Stereo when they were awarded the first license for a privately broadcast um, radio. So it was a, a lot about being in the right place at the right time and just really feeling lucky and going for it, saying, I, I think I have something to offer. Will you guys take me on? Before ZFM was set up, was it entirely state-run radio? Yes, before ZFM's license was um, awarded, it was entirely state radio. Uh, it was what was, before independence, known as the Rhodesian Broadcasting Corporation, which changed in 1980 after independence to the Zimbabwe Broadcasting Corporation. But the mechanisms um, and how the stations were run really didn't change much. They just changed the name from Rhodesian to Zimbabwe. So the states always had a pretty good hold on media production within the country. And uh, what role has radio played in Zimbabwe since 2012 and what changes have occurred? I think since 2012, in fact, we could start before 2012 because I think that being awarded this license didn't happen out of thin air. I do think that the government saw that the rest of the world is moving through rapid changes in technology. And if we are going to keep up with that and we're going to keep trying to access the youth market, that's very important to us, we're going to have to change the way we do work. And so this one license was awarded to ZFM as, I think, kind of a testing patch, right? What was brilliant at that time, it was one year before the presidential elections in 2013, ZFM started, it started broadcasting online, and it really had this deep desire to connect through social media to ordinary young Zimbabweans. So in terms of that, it was really an exciting time, really, really an exciting time. Uh, Zimbabwe is going to have elections again next year in uh, 2018, so I expect that broadcast will ramp up again for those elections, which is always the year before elections is always an exciting time because the government kind of lets out a bit more or rather I should I should say tries to pretend that it's not as controlling as it is. So things can spring up like uh, you might see television um a private television station coming up in Zimbabwe soon. You might see other um, licenses awarded to other private broadcasters, which creates a really good sense of competition 
which is important in the broadcast landscape. So since 2012, I think what's most interesting in Zimbabwe is a sense of opening up. And this is for the ordinary Zimbabwean, that I can state my opinion and I'm a lot less afraid than I used to be to do that. Community radio and alternative radio in general is often talked about as giving a voice to marginalised groups or yes. as a democratising media form. Mm-hmm. Is that specifically something you think that's happened with, with ZFM? Um, with CFM, I, I would probably put it outside the realm of um, community broadcasting because it does rely heavily on advertising revenue in order to stay alive. Um, Zimbabwe has not had a great range of community broadcasting um, historically. As I've said before, the government's had a pretty tight control of that. Any real community-type uh, broadcasting has happened outside the country you know, through stations like Voice of America, for example. Um, The issue with those stations is that if you are broadcasting um, into the country or online, but you're outside of Zimbabwe, the information that you broadcast is quite removed from what an ordinary Zimbabwean experiences. And because of that, ordinary Zimbabweans have really stuck to listening to ZBC, the Zimbabwe Broadcasting Corporation, because they are internal and a lot closer to the everyday experience. So within the country, really, there hasn't been that much um, community broadcasting. And I don't think that uh, ZFM could fall under that because it's really, really geared towards advertising revenue because it doesn't get any funding whatsoever from the state, mm-hmm. yet still has to compete. See, after this license was awarded, it's, it's not as if the other stations, the state ones, um, stopped broadcasting. So it has to compete with stations that have been around for at least 50 or 60 years, which is a really tall task. And does the move to online broadcasting enable the ZFM to compete more with these state broadcasters in the sense that it perhaps has a wider spread and on on the uh, information about ZFM it talks about broadcasting to the diaspora as well? Mm -hmm. I think when it began in 2012 there was a lot of um, excitement for it because of that broadcasting online. But I think now the station needs to go a step further than that. They can't continue to rely on the fact that they can broadcast online and then the diaspora can, you know, um, hear about them and comment and so on and so forth. 2012 was the year for that. Now the station needs to start looking at how do we make impactful information for the social media platforms that we have. So it's while it was a good start, it was an okay start to begin broadcasting online and to try and include people from all over the world. And many, many Zimbabweans in the diaspora loved li- love to listen to ZFM. But the question is, what is the next thing in Zimbabwean broadcasting? We surely can't still be talking about broadcasting online when that began in 2012. What is now? Do you think there's going to be have to be a move towards social media, opening up the dialogue to give a wider spread of opinions? Do you think social media is a platform that's going to be able to do that? I think that it has the potential to do that. And of course, in the you know the last few years, there's a lot of talk about you know what social media can do for 
um, grassroots um, grassroots level interventions and so on and so forth. It should be remembered, though, that social media, let's say you or I have cell phones, mobile phones, we have them, you know. We hear about one news story. We tweet about it, right? It could be a hundred of us tweeting about that news story. But who is it that goes in and correlates that information? The way that that information becomes useful and legitimate is that larger media entities have to pick up on it and sell it. We're not at the stage that there is this idea that just through social media alone that you can change things. But if there isn't a coalescing force behind it, managing it, unfortunately, we're all tweeting into the air, to be honest. So in terms of Zimbabwe, it's brilliant that there is this private radio station. It's brilliant that mobile technologies are penetrating to areas that they weren't before and is happening really rapidly. But we have to ask the question that if people are discussing these things that are important to them in their daily lives, who takes that information and makes it like official news? And one of the issues with social media, which has emerged recently, is how easy it is to fall into an echo chamber of ideas as well. So yeah. we're surrounded by opinions which we agree with. Yeah. Is there a way that bringing social media into the radio realm, this can be circumvented or can it fall into the same trap of the same people listening to the same shows and the same ideas over and over again? I think what you've seen in Zimbabwe, for example, is that what the use of social media can do is that it can question legitimacy. Before we had access to these technologies, or before they evolved into what they are now, you as a broadcaster could put out a whole bunch of information without necessarily thinking about whether it's legitimate or not. The listener, or private listeners, wherever they were taking it in, could still decide. I mean, we still, as as human beings, we all decide, do we take this as legitimate or not? Am I listening to SOAS Radio and thinking is this is a legitimate platform? Or am I listening to BBC World Service? You know, what's legitimate to me? But what social media allows is a direct questioning. So uh, if you take the example of ZFM Stereo, People will, if they, they do not agree with what the anchor is saying or what the station is pushing, the ideas that they think the station is pushing, they will come at you. They will. Now, whether that changes anything, I don't know. I'm a bit skeptical on that. But it is an improvement to at least see that people can speak to such a large organization and say, I don't know if I think you are legitimate in saying this. I think this and this and this. So that's what's been really great. Absolutely. And I suppose another example of social media in this sense of questioning authority and challenging entrenched structures of power has been in, in South Africa with the, the mm -hmm. fallism and hashtag Rose Must Fall, which has mm -hmm. morphed into hashtag Fees Must Fall. Yes. It perhaps hasn't maintained that um, momentum throughout. Is that, mm -hmm. is that a problem? Is that one of the shortcomings of using social media? Um, I think one of the shortcomings is in our way of looking at it as scholars or so-called intellectuals. Um, 
we look at social media when we're celebratory. We look at social media as this, you know, this tool for change. On the ground, it may not be that. In South Africa, the real tool of change has been that a large percentage of the populace of young people have not been able to access what they were promised in 1994. Right? Everything has gone up. Salaries have gone down. And they think, since 1994, I've been waiting and waiting for what the government said it would give, which is access to free education, and this is not happening. And the reason that roads must fall is as intense as it is now compared to the maybe seven years ago when I was actually studying there, is that we've been through this recession since 2008. People genuinely do not have money to send their kids to school. And when that happens, when a majority population sees that I'm not being catered for here when I was promised that I would, these eruptions happen. I think social media has been useful in communicating these ideas, but we need to take account of class differences. If, let's say, you are a person who cannot afford to pay for your university um, in South Africa, you don't have access to grants, you don't have access to scholarships, you take the streets. You're angry, and rightfully so. What we then do, which is a question we really need to ask ourselves, what our role is in this? It's very easy to watch these young people from a distance and tweet about you know, this rose must fall thing is this and that, but these are actual lives. These are actual livelihoods. And we didn't start that. Those of us who are in elite um, classification where we can afford a mobile phone, where you can buy the data to tweet from, you know, these are things we take for granted in London. But these are real, real impediments if we're looking at Southern Africa. We need to really think about that. The Roads Must Fall has been started by brave, really brave young people in South Africa. And if anything, we've just like cottoned onto it um, a bit too late. Because if we were honest, you know, 10 years ago when we were in those universities, I can speak for myself and the people I know, we weren't taking the streets. Why not? Why not? So really, one of the main things is whilst these communication uh, for activism like uh, alternative radio and uh, the opening up of airways, for example, in Zimbabwe, but also the use of social media in South Africa, it still it has to be backed up. That there's perhaps yes. uh, not too much reliance, but too much expectation that it's the medium that is absolutely. driving change rather than the people. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Social media is brilliant for giving us a snapshot of what the issue of the day is. But it's not brilliant or it's not useful, in my opinion, in showing which side is winning and which side is losing. It's not important in showing us what the likely future is going to be. All it does is it highlights for those of us who might be distanced from the actual epicenter of an issue, it highlights what that issue is. So while it's not, it's not completely useless, I'm, that's not what I'm, I'm saying at all, but 
one, there needs to be an on-the-ground revolt that happens, as we've seen now with Roads Must Fall. And secondly, it takes a coalescing force, which is mainstream media, to pick up on that information and pick up on our tweets, on our Facebook messages and so on, and create a story out of that. So if anything, social media is one link on a chain, but yeah. it's not the chain in itself. Could you actually tell us a bit more about the work you've done looking at social media and its influence on activism? And we've talked about how it has been a, a tool of youth uprisings. Yes. My work specifically um, is focused on Zimbabwe and my current study actually looks at the year before the 2013 election. So I look at from August 2012 to August 2013. I look at how, as a private broadcaster, as the first private broadcaster, how was ZFM different in the way that it framed political content, in the way that it interacted with guests, in the way that it invited different people onto the station. An example of this is that ZBC never invited opposition parties to come and read their manifestos and debate with other political parties. And ZFM was the first to do that. And what did that mean for the ordinary person listening to um, the station? So I look at two things. I look at the back end of production, you could call it. So that's the station and the way that producers work together to broadcast certain programming. And then I look at what ordinary listeners um, thought of that programming and gave back to ZFM through Facebook, through Twitter, and through WhatsApp um, text messaging. What was the response from the government or from the state broadcaster towards ZFM? I think that the state broadcaster, because... um, this close links with the state meant that it was part of the awarding team that gave ZFM the license. So, you know, they were part and parcel of, you know, how ZFM was set up. What I think was more impactful in relation to ZFM is a thing that we don't talk about enough, which is self-censorship. You have to remember that this is the first privately owned station. As they are bringing new producers into the station, if they've been living in the Zimbabwean context, it's more than likely that they've worked in the state broadcaster. Unless you manage to entice, and there were some people who who were enticed enticed, uh, from the diaspora um, to come back to Zimbabwe. One example is Robin Hunter. She used to work in BBC World Service um, in London for a number of years. And, you know, she was brought back into um, ZFM to work on talk time broadcasting. You know, but being this guinea pig, this first privately owned station meant that there was a lot of self-censorship that would happen in case of repercussions, especially, especially the year before an election. So while it could be assumed that uh, it was the government directly, you know, directing the station saying, okay, you won't broadcast this in this way, you won't invite these people here. There is a culture that needs to be broken down in Zimbabwe. There's a culture of fear because real lives have been lost for saying the wrong thing on air. So most of what you saw in terms of the control, it was an internalized control 
internalized control that was learned through um, working in the state broadcaster since 1980. And that's a very difficult thing to change in people's minds, how they behave as media producers themselves. And in the years between the last election and now, mm-hmm. has ZFM begun to push the boundaries of, pushed further into, away from self-censorship and into perhaps more opinionated positions that they wouldn't have done when it first started? Not really. And I, the reason is there's something that happens. I keep on coming back to this. There's something that happens a year before elections in Zimbabwe that causes a great deal of excitement. The country is so politically motivated, and this is party politics, that when that is not happening, there's a tendency to slow down evolution. Um, I think what ZFM is going through right now, and um, this can be read in a number of articles that um, have come out about the, the hemorrhaging of talent from the radio station in the last six months, I think the station is facing certain stagnation if it doesn't change things. Um, I do believe that they were maybe naive um, ideas about the station in 2012, but that kind of energy can only be kept up if a station or an entity continues to evolve. And this is what I come back to when I'm talking about CFM online. We can't still really be telling people that we are broadcasting online with the only station that's broadcasting online. Yeah, you said that in 2012. What are you doing now? What are you doing now? So if anything, I don't think it's really a self-censorship issue anymore. I think it's more of a stagnation. And, you know, the station and the country needs to open up ways for creatives in the country to do their creative work. Would another radio station, uh, as competition to ZFM, Mm -hmm. as a private broadcaster, Mm -hmm. Would, do you think that would drive a bit more motivation away from the stagnation? Or would that perhaps dilute the challenge to authority that it's sort mm-hmm. of begun? Mm-hmm. I think most likely um, anyone who is creative and motivated would just jump ship and move to the newer radio station because wow. it doesn't seem... I think that the core issue is that whether you call a station private commercial community, if the people who are running the station are themselves unable to evolve in the context of the country, you will always get this. It's kind of like firework, you know? The beginning is amazing, but it does tend to fizzle out because it's not sustainable without creativity. And creativity is something that autocracy, state autocracy, doesn't nurture. In fact, it's the opposite. You know, historically, that's unquestionable. So in order for a new station or for ZFM to move into, you know, the next phase, there would have to be a realization on a governmental level, at least, that creative work is important. The assumption that just having uh, an alternative voice or an alternative platform mm. leads to de- democratization mm-hmm. 
it actually needs constant work. It definitely needs, it definitely, definitely needs constant work. Because if you take CFM as an example for, for that first year, um, you know, we could stretch it to for the first two years. Um, there was that drive to be different, but it's very easy to regress into old patterns. And I think it's something that the station and it's something that the broadcasting authority really needs to think about in the country. Just on a kind of survival basis level, let's say we're not talking about, you know, this theoretical open space, um, the public space and whatnot. Just in terms of the station survival, if you do not have good content, you will lose listeners. All over the world, every station, this is what happens. It's not a a debatable thing. If you do not have creative content, you will lose listeners. And for ZFM, which does not get money from the government, it needs those listeners in order to get the advertisers. So just in a self-preservation kind of way, they do need to make changes if they hope to survive. Well, thank you very much, Norman, for coming to SOAS Radio today to talk with us about your experiences in radio. It's been a pleasure. The World Radio Day London event will be held on Friday the 10th of February in the Brunei Gallery at SOAS, University of London. For more information, search on Facebook for World Radio Day London 2017 and sign up for the free event on Eventbrite.